0: This episode of The Mortician's Daughter is brought to you by Colleen Malley-Schwartz with home Smart Realty. If you live in Phoenix or the surrounding areas, Colleen Malley-Schwartz can help you out if you're looking for a starting point, your next step, or that perfect forever home. And as a longtime Yabium sponsor, she's helped musicians and artists, and even the people that make this podcast, transition from longtime renter to pleasantly surprised homeowner. She's here to hold your hand through the process and the open houses. If you're done forking over money to a landlord and rent's doing nothing but going up, consider looking into what options might be out there and get in touch with Colleen. She can find the right home to fit your budget, and on top of that, she'll rebate up to one-third of her commission to pay your closing costs. Head to ColleenSellsAZ.com for more information, or to set up that initial appointment today. That's ColleenSellsAZ.com. And remember, please support the businesses that support local arts.
1: Hello, my little spiders. How good to find ourselves in conversation once again. But I must warn you, brace yourselves. We're going to be talking about some hard but important truths in this episode. But I'll try and keep it fun, too. Try being the key term here. We all need to recognize that at some point, death is going to come for us. Now, maybe you're banking on a long shot like biohacking into immortality or vampires or something. And I don't want to panic you, but I think you should consider some practical thinking about your demise. Maybe just start with a few short breaths and build up from there. See if you can ponder your own end for a few minutes. Breathe slowly and start to accept that at some point you are going to die. Every generation has those who pursue immortality, but none have yet achieved it. That's not to say I'm not rooting for science or maybe vampires, but as I've learned, it's wise to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So while we're all working on accepting that it's true that we're all going to kick the bucket someday, I would like to point out that death can be a little more elusive than you might think, especially in this day and age. I mean, not for everyone, and it can sound wildly insensitive to say that during this particular era in human history, being a pandemic and a time when you can't connect to the news cycle without being inundated with death from police violence and all. But statistically speaking, it holds true. It's strange that humans always seem to hold two diametrically opposed feelings first, that they are not gonna die. Not really. They might know it abstractly, but have often not really thought about it in concrete terms. At the same time, we all seem to be startled as we age that we made it this long. I know I've certainly hit some spots on the old timeline where I've thought, wow, I didn't expect to get here. Now what? So for those of you listening right now, I'm going to be very Virgo and aside some odds here. You are 100% going to die, but you are 99.99% not going to die today or tomorrow. I'd go so far as to say this whole week, but I don't want to get crazy with it because our listenership is going up and I need to watch my margins here. I don't assign odds all willy-nilly. I should mention that I add protective hexes to all my shows to make sure my listeners survive until our next episode. But I always strive for honesty, so I'm going to just say that I don't actually know how to do that. If I learn, though, it's on. Okay, so let's talk about what we're here to talk about, preparing for the inevitable. Even if right now you're thinking, I'm too young or I don't own anything or I don't care what happens after I die because I'm going to be dead. Just stop. Take it from me. And this is one thing I do know a lot about right off the cuff. These things can affect way more than what happens to your stuff after you die. It can be about who makes the call about whether or not they pull the plug on you or keep you alive when you're laying in a coma. And it's about who gets to make other medical decisions when you're unable to speak for yourself. Maybe you have a partner you've been living with for years, maybe forever, but your state doesn't recognize domestic partnership without legal documentation. And then something simple as a car accident or an aneurysm or a lightning bolt ends your time on this plane of existence and everything you meant to address before that time came was left unattended and now goes to your squirrely sister and that brother-in-law you can't stand. The one with the tooth thing and that tattoo he regrets getting, but also hasn't gone through the trouble of covering up. Maybe you have kids and you love them, and you want to do the best you can for them when they face their grief. If you hate your kids, you'll still want to make sure you don't leave them in charge of making your decisions should something happen to you, because they probably hate you back. Anyway, I'm getting turned around now. The point is, no matter where you are in life, personally or financially, it's never too late to start thinking about your worst case scenarios. Seriously. Best practice is to get a few forms on file as soon as you hit 18 and update as needed throughout your life. Yes, as I've mentioned, my father was a funeral director. In the small town where I was born, he was the deputy coroner and the mortician. And I, myself, work in the funeral-adjacent industry, which has put me in contact with people across the spectrum, from grieving families to grief counselors, to trauma nurses and death doulas, to people who manage mortuaries or help families pre-plan for end-of-life needs, or sell life insurance policies, or lawyers who draw up wills and trusts, and sometimes, when things don't go right to help families untangle the mess left behind by a recently deceased loved one who didn't quite get around to addressing their last wishes while still alive. Which is a shame because simple estate planning is easier than you think and it can really do so very much to help the people you love in their time of grief. My dad saw enough of grieving spouses and distraught children faced with the barrage of questions when the only question they should be dealing with is whether Oreos or ice cream, are better at consoling a person when consumed in a bathtub while crying. Seriously, take an estate attorney or funeral director out to lunch and ask them to tell you some stories. Sometimes the tragedy is not in the loss of life, but in the stories that follow. Siblings fighting over a collection of silverware, second spouses fighting bio kids about who gets to decide what happens to the body. The list goes on and on. Some examples seem obvious, but so many more will leave you wondering how anyone could trade an opportunity to salvage or strengthen familial ties over something like a brooch or a picture of a cowboy purchased at a garage sale. But stranger things have happened. Now, my brother and I grew up with these stories and also with a bit of a strange slant on our value system. By comparison to our peers, that might be attributed to our relationship with death. There was never a time when we were unaware of death or that it would slowly take everyone we've ever known or cared about from this world. But a thick veneer of humor was added to the surface to offer a cheery shine. Seriously, though, good things came out of this untraditional upbringing other than the jokes. I believe in telling people how I feel in the moment I am feeling it rather than holding back for the right time. Sure, it can be uncomfortable at first, but most people get used to it. Anyone who thinks it's too much can associate with more tepid personalities. Both my brother and I also value people and experiences over things. A house full of stuff is just more tasks you're assigning to loved ones, or in some cases, strangers after you die. Keep only the things you need or value. Thing is, if you're keeping it, maybe jot down some instructions about what you want to happen to it after you bite the dust. Now, this one isn't particularly crucial. This step can often be kept at a conversational level for those of us without kids or a lot of assets. But I'm still of the mind that it's never unwise to put in a little extra early to save trouble down the road. I always remember this great story I heard and by great, I mean really, really terrible, about a man who died and left millions in cash and assets to his two sons. Thing is, Dad didn't get too specific when it came to the little things, like divvying up his vintage cars. Now, one of those cars he refurbished himself with his two sons. And now that the dad was gone, both sons decided they wanted this car at any cost and it certainly did end up costing them, years of litigation followed until the value of the car was only a mere fraction of what either of those kids tossed out trying to wrest away ownership from their brother. They were brothers by blood only at that point, and their relationship turned to bitter hate. And they could have just shared that damn car and remember building it with their dad together. But no. Grief is a weird thing. Greed is a weird thing. Either one of those factors can be problematic. But should the two meet, things can get cray. Oftentimes, it's not even a matter of grief or greed. It's just a matter of differences of opinion. This especially comes into play with aging parents and not just afterlife decisions when wishes are not made known before decisions have to be made. Okay, so this gets into making a will or a trust. This isn't just for parents or people with uh, assets and stuff. This is stuff we should all think about, at least long enough to make sure we have our boxes checked. I mean, if you live with a partner and you're not married, have you named them in your will? What about on your life insurance policy? Maybe you don't have a life insurance policy, but does your employer provide one? Are you 100% sure about your answers? What about a 401 k plan? Do you have one through your job? Or maybe from a previous job? Who is named to inherit those funds if something happens to you? Sometimes it's as easy as updating a name on a form to make sure you're covered. Preparing for end of life is about a lot more than burial plots and wills. What about a power of attorney? Have you named someone to speak on your behalf and make decisions if you're unable to? Personally, I think everyone should celebrate their 18th birthday by signing a healthcare POA and purchasing a lottery ticket. A healthcare power of attorney or healthcare proxy names someone to make medical decisions on your behalf should you be incapacitated. Have you had conversations with your parents or your kids about what happens if you or they can't make decisions? Because this is a two way street. I named both my husband and my brother as my medical powers of attorney because if something happens to me, I don't know if my fella is going to feel up to the task of tackling some of the more harrowing problems that can preclude death. Not that my kid brother isn't going to be dressing his own difficult feelings when my time comes, but my fella takes softy to a different level that neither my brother nor I are capable of externalizing. Mark, my husband, would not be best served by filling out forms to get some plugs pulled when the time comes around, but my sibling would be there with a pillow in hand just in case the medical team takes too long. We've made promises to each other after all, and one of those promises is not to needlessly prolong this life in the face of suffering when no reasonable hope can be found. Those are our feelings, our choices, And we know we share those views because we've thought about them and talked about them. Lots of other people feel differently, and that's why it's important to know how the people around you feel. I know my mother wants to be cremated. She doesn't want to be in a managed care facility or retirement center for as long as she can avoid it and would prefer in-home help. But if she cannot live on her own, she values her independence and would opt for assisted living that helps her maintain her independence over living with either of her children. I know this because we've talked about this as a family. And when my father died, he left a numbered list of everything we needed to do in the event of his passing because, A, we're just like that here. And, B, he knew how difficult grief can be for families, and the one way to help alleviate that grief is to remove the litany of questions that follow death. His list got specific enough to tell us which crematorium we should contact and who we should speak to about the funeral service. A little morbid, sure, but Dad could be a little morbid. And, really, it was super helpful. When I was younger, I drafted a will that specified I was to be cremated and handfuls of my ashes were to be thrown at people I didn't like. Of course, I didn't pay the money to go through an attorney, but I did have it notarized and it was public library researched. That being said, I don't know how it would stand up in a court, especially considering I didn't name an executor, so I'm sure the court-appointed executor would likely object to distributing my ashes in accordance with my wishes. That brings up an important point, the difference between wills and trusts. And I want to start by saying I am not an attorney. I suggest you speak to an attorney when drafting either a will or a trust. Now a will is a more cost-effective option, generally running anywhere from $300 to $800. Now that's a rough estimate derived from personal experience and internet sleuthing. A trust is a bit different and is generally suggested if you have a lot in assets, have concerns about a will being contested, want to avoid a probate period while the courts review your last wishes, or young children are involved. Trusts can be more costly, but they will also help you avoid a probate period. Once again, I would seek the advice of an attorney before proceeding. As I aged, and some might say matured, my wishes have changed. I still want to be cremated, but the list of people I don't like has changed dramatically. It used to be based on specific individuals, and now it's more about groups of people, like people who don't wash their hands after using a public restroom, or people who talk in movie theaters. So cremation is still a go, and I'm a proponent of the practice. There are a number of other emerging practices gaining traction these days, from mushroom suits to full-body burial at sea, which, in case you were wondering, can be far more challenging than you might expect. If you want to get cast into the sea upon your death, might I suggest cremation first? Okay, I'm veering here. If I start wandering, I could be telling stories and off on tangents all day. I think the best thing to do is to make a list. Let's assign some order to the chaos that follows death so we might leave a little more order in our wake. First thing to do is assign a power of attorney. Who do you want to make decisions for you if you are incapacitated? Now there are two types of POAs, a medical and a financial. Once again, this should be a conversation as well as a legal document. Surprises aren't fun. Partners, parents, friends, whoever your people are. If you haven't yet found your community, fret not. Your people are out there. And in the meantime, you still have some control. Do you know someone who is willing to act on your behalf or would you prefer the courts to simply assign someone? That is commonly done, so don't panic if that's the case. At the same time you're discussing POAs, you can talk about some things like medical directives and organ donation so that you can make your wishes known in case something happens. A medical or advanced directive states things like whether or not you want to be resuscitated. Maybe you've heard the phrase DNR orders on file on one of those medical dramas. Power of attorney and advanced directive just puts your wishes in writing and or name someone to act on your behalf. My fellow and I were together quite a long time before we opted to wed. Like, a long, long time. Long enough to name each other on advanced directives so we could speak in medical situations. Neither one of us was really worried about the other one being left out of the decision-making in terms of family if something happened to the other one. But we did want to make sure we didn't run into any issues when traveling together. An ER doctor in New York might not wait to find out if you have a do not resuscitate order on file in Arizona, but they will definitely pause to listen to your partner if they are carrying a POA and an advance directive. These forms grant a person authority to talk to your doctor and help make decisions about CPR, mechanical ventilation, tube feeding, dialysis, palliative care, organ and tissue donation, and a whole lot more. And you can easily find free versions of these forms online by searching for them. They can vary state by state, so you want to make sure you have the right one for where you live. Just type in free Arizona power of attorney form or free California power of attorney form. Make sure the person you choose is not only someone that you trust, but someone whose values align with your own. Unexpected questions can come up and you want to have someone who will answer for you in a way that you would choose to answer for yourself. At least, that's the idea. Next, let's move right along to creating a will or trust. Start by asking yourself some basic questions, like do you have young children that need to be cared for should something happen to you? Who would you trust to do that? While my husband and I have opted out of the whole kid thing, we are godparents to an amazing brood connected to us by both blood bonds and those of chosen family. And as such, we've had conversations with all involved parents about what that would look like for us and for their kids. Everything from talking about where we would live to making sure they know every auntie gets a key to our house. But if you're like us and you don't have kids, there are still a number of practical reasons for having a will or trust in place. Do you own a home? Do you have a bank account with a not-negative balance? Do you have a job with a 401k? Is your vinyl collection truly stellar? Really think about it. I have a number of first edition books that might just get tossed into donation pile if I don't warn people prior to my passing. And what about my complete collection of Marx Brothers DVDs? If one of my friends isn't allowed to claim them, I swear my ghost will haunt them to the end of time. But I'm a middle-ish aged. I've had some time to gather my stuff. Maybe you don't have that much stuff sitting around. Maybe you have a roommate and nothing much to speak of. I know I spent most of my adult life right there. But I still had something in place to make sure my roommates weren't left scrambling to cover my share of the rent if I bought the farm prematurely, at least for a month. Thoughtful, right? That's what we're here to do. Think about these things. I encourage you to think about what you own and who you want it to go to in the event of your passing. If you don't, the courts will decide on your behalf and not always in the accordance with your wishes. Consulting an attorney or a financial advisor is always a great way to start, but forms are available online through places like LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer to help you out if you need to just get down some basics. Okay, so wills and trusts. Look into them, but that's just part of this whole process. Now we got to talk about bodies. We all have at least one and you can't take it with you. So what are you going to do with it? Now, it's all well and good to say I don't care what happens to my body after I die, but that basically translates to I'm going to let my family worry about those decisions and associated costs. Yes, there are always costs because no one wants to leave a loved one's body unclaimed. Let me tell you why. In an article for The Atlantic, Michael Waters explains the United States has no uniform system for managing the unclaimed. There is no federal law outlining what steps to take, and many states do not have clear procedures, leaving individual medical examiners to make decisions about how to best deal with the bodies. As a result, examiners without money to simply bury or cremate the remains are resorting to inventive and strange solutions. Now, what does he mean by strange solutions? Let's find out. According to Waters, all this means that solutions for managing the dead are getting weirder and more controversial, though not necessarily worse. While Tennessee gives some unclaimed cadavers to body farms where researchers study decomposition, New York has buried more than 1 million unclaimed bodies on its inaccessible Hart Island, a 100-acre strip of land north of Manhattan. States such as North Carolina cremate unclaimed remains and scatter them at sea. Dallas, which is also overrun with unclaimed bodies, briefly debated liquefying remains through an environmentally friendly process known as alkaline hydrolysis. That initiative failed after lawmakers expressed revulsion for the technique, which reduces human bodies to a brownish liquid and a set of bones. Gross, guys, but actually smart for the environment. At the same time, funerals are expensive. The average cost for a funeral in the United States is somewhere between $7,000 and $12,000. But as the National Funeral Directors Association points out, the cost does not take into account cemetery or monument marker costs or miscellaneous cash charges such as flowers or an obituary. Those things can push the number upwards of $20,000, which is kind of crazy to me and part of the reason I'm in the business I'm in. But that's not what the show is about today. This show is about death, not business, not even the business of death. Maybe you want the side-by-side plots on the hill with the marbled angels frozen in prayer to watch over your corpse. Now, I say that totally without judgments. No, seriously. I love a good stroll through a lovely cemetery. Something tastefully overgrown and cared for through the years. It feels like a sacred space. I might believe in the equitable distribution of funds, but I also believe if an individual chooses to allot a larger portion of their share to some grand memorial, I would support and celebrate it. Sure, you can fit 180 standard-size urns into one grave space, but whatever. The average cost in cremation in the U.S. as of 2017, according to the Neptune Society, was about $1,100. Now that's for direct cremation, so that doesn't include cost for memorial services, urns, or other things that often get tacked on. Now a mushroom soup will run you about $1,500, but you have to figure out where you're going to bury the body. Can't just pull off to the side of the road and dig a hole. No, 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 my dears. Such things are frowned upon. You can purchase space from some mortuaries and cemeteries, and, depending on the state, you can bury on private land. Now, donating your body to science can help you sidestep these costs. Once medical students address their knowledge needs, your body will be cremated, at no expense to you or your loved ones, and then returned to your family. Conservation burial is a cool new option that's becoming available. For a fee that goes to support the preservation of the land, either your body or your ashes can be buried in a conservation cemetery. I think that's pretty neat. There are a lot of options out there. I'm going to include some resource links on the page for this podcast over on YabYum for those looking for more information on the topics we're discussing here today. I know it's a lot to get through at one time. Okay. Medical directives, POAs, wills, trusts, bodies, what am I leaving out? Oh yeah, I know. Everyone listening is probably silently screaming at me, social media, right? That's what you're all thinking right now. Anyway, Facebook allows you to designate a legacy account. A person who can do certain things with your account should you die. Like post a farewell or delete posts from other people like annoying people from high school. Or they can back up everything and delete the whole account. Twitter, Instagram, and other outlets will require your family to provide some evidence before removing your accounts, but they will probably be deactivated eventually if they sit idle too long, in most cases. That doesn't mean your Twitter ghost won't be selling sunglasses in the meantime, however. Some companies are already offering some solutions, like Cake and Safe Beyond. Both offer legacy solutions with their online pre planning services that will leave final messages on your social media to bid adieu to your friends and followers. Both companies offer a range of free planning services, and neither of them are sponsors, so feel free to check them out. once you've checked your boxes, think about anything else you might want to leave behind as part of your legacy. Letters to loved ones, some final thoughts about your life. Don't worry, you can update as the years go on. It might actually be a nice meditative practice to do once a year. I keep encouraging my father-in-law to leave behind an uncensored memoir for his sons and future generations. The man's lived a very interesting life, one he's still chugging away at, And I'm not just talking about those rock and roll years. The kids want to know. For my nephews, I composed a book list rather than a letter. way I see it, my ten favorite books are a better way to get to know me as an adult if I don't survive their childhood. Legacies are a very personal thing, and they mean something different for every person. It's not just about money. Let's call this an invitation to start thinking about yours. Okay. Medical directives, POAs, wills, trusts, bodies, legacies. I think that's a pretty decent rundown to get you started. As I mentioned, I'll include links on the page for this episode over on YabYum. That's at yabyumwest.com, Y A B Y U M. And you can always find this podcast and others by selecting podcasts from the menu. Easy peasy. Well, this show has been a bit of a doozy, so I'll have to think of something extra fun for our next chat. Right now, I've got to go think of a good last message for my social media accounts. Maybe, be warned, devils, I am on my way.
0: This episode was written and read by Carly Shorman and produced by Mark Anderson. Thank you to our sponsor, Colleen Mally-Schwartz with Home Smart Realty. Tune in next month for another episode of The Mortician's Gobble.